Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child, who was born last December. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Startup Dads. I'm delighted to have Carl Reeder on the show with me today. Carl, can you give us a little intro to yourself and tell us about what makes you a startup dad? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that that's really easy to answer, Amit. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. And A, I'm involved in startups and B, I'm a dad. So that's exactly <laughs> what makes me a startup dad. Um, to share a little bit about myself, I wear a number of hats. Um, I'm an author. I serve as chairman of um, D&T, which is my core business. I also work alongside a few other brands from startups through to established corporates. And um, I serve on a number of not-for-profit boards as well. Um, alongside that I also managed to somehow fit in being a dad that's amazing that's absolutely amazing it seems like you've got eight different jobs there I find two I find just the startup and the dad bit hard enough so it sounds like your life work is actually about helping people take the leap itself and we've talked about this previously on the show I don't think it's necessarily the hardest part is taking the leap it's definitely one of the most difficult so can you tell me about how you think about this when you're working with people yeah, sure. So actually, I mean, it weaves in quite nicely with the parenting side of things as well. So I, w- I want to share with you, Amit, the story of my son, Jordan. So Jordan is now 22. So he's recently been through the education system. And most of us would hope that the education system was now at a point where it recognized entrepreneurship and starting businesses. But actually, it didn't for him. You know, he... Um, he went through as a very average student, you know, he's, um, but he's not academic and he would openly admit it too. But the academic system focused him on, first of all, getting GCSEs, secondly, getting A-levels and then trying to get him to go to university, where actually all he wanted to do was to be in control of his own destiny and start his own business. But society had conditioned him in such a way that, that that was seen as something that Uh, Yeah, only failures do. And actually, he needs to focus on the academic path and getting good grades. So yeah, I think that for me, that is what I'm trying to achieve. It is trying to both normalize, um, but then also educate people around the concept of self-employment and the fact that it's a perfectly acceptable way of life, whether it's building a tech startup or whether it's just doing something by yourself. Going it alone is absolutely fine. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting, this point, because I think in the States, particularly, you know, entrepreneurship is talked about a huge amount. But actually, I find in this country, it doesn't seem to be presented as an opportunity to the younger generation as much. And I don't know, certainly, you know, when I was growing up, starting your own business, that's not something at your at your career school fair that got talked about at all. So do you have any thoughts about this and how we can equalize that a little bit, make it much more of a totally acceptable path, right, as amongst any other path? Sure. So, so yeah, I, I, I've got quite a few thoughts on it, actually. Um, I think there definitely is a cultural difference. And, 
yeah, if we look at the states, for example, or even look at the GCC or other regions, entrepreneurship is celebrated socially, but also supported from a policy perspective. And I think in the UK, we've got a strange situation that we're in where we have the media's portrayal of entrepreneurship, which isn't entirely positive. We have our academic system, which doesn't entirely support it. And then from a societal perspective, we seem to take great pleasure in failure rather than success as well. Mm. So all of those are a horrific combo when it comes to promoting entrepreneurship. So if we start with the um, media portrayal of entrepreneurship, we've got the challenge that if, if we look at what the media's portrayal of entrepreneurship is, you've got the TV shows like Apprentice or Dragon's Den. And let's be honest, what they're trying to share on those shows is the highlights reel of the worst possible moments. You know, mm. none of us tune into X Factor to see the good singers, do we? We tune in to see people <laughs> get kicked off the auditions. We tune into BGT to see the dancers fall over. So the media portrayal is around reality show rather than reality of business um, and i know this i know a few of the dragons who've served on the show i also know a few of the contestants who just see, saw it as a pr exercise I, w- I also know a few of the ex-apprentice finalists and was involved in the filming of an apprentice final and i saw the difference between what actually happened which was a whole lot closer mm. to real business and what got screened on tv so i think that there's a negative there and then if we look at the more traditional media small business just doesn't have a place within the national press it gets segued into personal finance or lifestyle or careers or um, something else and When it comes to entrepreneurship, it tends to be articles attacking the likes of Philip Green or Mike Ashley or Jeff Bezos. There's a negative tint because, let's be honest, praising someone's success doesn't sell newspapers. So that's the media issues. From a societal perspective, yeah, for some strange, bizarre reason, we seem to be happy when our neighbour crashes their car or, um, or, or, you know, loses their job or whatever. We seem to feel that that promotes ourselves. So I don't know if that's a uniquely British thing, but it's, mm. it's not very nice, is it? Um, no. So entrepreneurship isn't really supported from a societal perspective. And then from a government government perspective as well, and we look at policy, I think we just need to look at how the government have acted during coronavirus in terms of the exclusion of certain sectors of the economy. We look at the 6 million people who are either business owners or self-employed. If we were to count them by number, self-employment and business owners would be by far the largest employer in the UK. And in fact, would almost employ as many people as the entire public sector but they haven't been looked after. So I think there's a number of factors that combine to unfortunately push um, entrepreneurship down in the esteem of many people. Yeah, it all feels a bit grim when you think about it this way. So I'm going to try and pivot us to in true startup <laughs> style to a much more positive outlook. So, you know, you, Carl, you've released a great book uh, called Boss It, uh, talking about how to actually jump into the entrepreneurship world. So in the face of the fact that it does look scary and it does, uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that doesn't feel easy to do, what do you say to those people who actually are considering it? And how do you how do you show them that there is a path forward? Sure. So I guess my house style is to say it how it is. And I think despite the fact that there's so many factors against entrepreneurship in this country and there is a fear of failure and a fear of embarrassment and so on, actually 
business ownership, self-employment, starting a startup, whatever phrase you want to use. I, I'm using these phrases interchangeably at this stage to replace having a normal job. Um, anything that you do that's not having a normal corporate job is a brave step. And provided you're sensible about it, you take education and you work hard, actually, you can be successful. One of the core reasons that I wrote Bosset, and it's a in terms of sentiment, it's a bit mixed. It's not entirely cheerleading because I do try and set out that it is hard insofar as it's hard work, but it's not complicated. Business ownership is actually something that anybody with an ounce of common sense could actually do. You know, if, you, if you've got a five pound note, as long as you don't sell it for four pound, <laughs> you're going to be okay. You know, if you can find a way to dust it off and sell it for a tenner, you're going to be a millionaire. Um, if you can find a way to sell it for £5.50, you're going to do okay in business. If you sell it for £4, you're going to fail. So as long as you've got that common sense of unit level economics and how a business should work and that baseline education, actually business ownership is an entirely viable and, in fact, it's a great opportunity for most people. And the reality is this, Amrit, if the average person walked outside of their door and just looked left and right, and they would see, I, I don't know, 15 houses. The likelihood is that two of the people in those houses are business owners. Wow. One in seven adults are self-employed. But the reality is that most of us believe that entrepreneurship, and it, it's partly down to the use of the word entrepreneur, and the, uh, I guess the glamour around unicorns and tech startups. Um, mm. A lot of us feel that it's out of our reach, but actually it's not. Yeah. You know, I worked doing a, a normal job, you know, whatever the right phrase is, for most of my career. And then when I switched over to setting up my business and I was working in coffee shops when we used to be allowed out, it really surprised me at how many people were actually spent time in the middle of the day working in these places. And as you say, it just focuses your mind on the fact that far more people than you think, right, based on what you'd see in the news, in the press, are actually doing it alone. Definitely. And... Not every um, new business owner has the same ambitions. So, you know, when we use the word startup, it actually covers a bunch of different types of businesses. But most of us within the business ecosystem tend to think of the likes of Slack and Zoom and historically Facebook and Google. And so we Mm. think of tech startup, we think of the unicorns. And yes, that feels out of reach for most people. But actually there's a number of different types of businesses you know we see the lifestyle businesses where people don't necessarily want more income they just want to be able to knock off on a friday afternoon and um, play golf or tennis or football or whatever their hobby is Um, you've got businesses that want to start just solely because they don't like the person they were working for or they didn't like the customer base and they just want to have the control over who they work with we then have businesses that are on a growth plan, but aren't necessarily on a big growth plan, you know, maybe opening two shops or three shops. And then we have the high growth businesses that are determined from the outset to change the world and be a billion dollar valuation. Mm -hmm. It's a spectrum. And there's so many businesses that fit within that. And I guess the challenge in the UK, going back to what I was touching on earlier about how the cards are stacked against us, is that the vast majority of that spectrum don't actually get much airtime. So it's not seen within our education system and from a societal perspective as a normal way of doing things. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think your point about the fact that the venture capital kind of investment world has appropriated the word startup and kind of transformed that into the, the word that you associate with high growth, you know, 
5x growth a year or whatever the, you know, the best metric is, is a really interesting one. And, you know, I work at what is probably defined by most metrics, a high growth startup. Mm. But what I'm really aware of is that by itself, that growth is rarely a motivator, right? I think those things you talked about there about independence, opportunity to make your own impact on the world, however, whatever that means to you is such an important kind of universally defining characteristic, irrespective of actually what the end result is. Definitely. I think that whilst there's a magnified focus on the venture-backed startups, the reality is at some point they have to become a normal business. And mm. whether that's at Series B, Series C, Series D, etc., um, whether it's at IPO, whether it's at some point in the future when we don't know, they have to get to the point where they can run as a profitable, sustainable entity. And I guess, but that's, um, I mean, I know we're going off on different tangents here. Um, I'm enjoying it. That's, that's one of my fears about the lack of education around businesses, because I think it's really important that those entering the world of business understand the motivations of self-employed, the motivations mm. of a traditional small business and the motivations of both a wannabe unicorn startup and the venture capitalist behind it. Because yeah. they've all got their own motivations. The motivations of one will look completely alien to the other. But actually, when you can, when you as an individual can join the dots and understand it, it really improves your whole of business education. Yeah, I think making sure that your motivations as an entrepreneur line up with your teams, your investors, your clients is so important. And it's one of those amazing things no one talks about because you're absolutely right, right? You come into business and you're following the high growth part. You go, right, I'm going to go and get some investment. Maybe, uh, you know, if you harbor ambitions of growing really fast, you go, go and get some venture investment. It's really important you find the right people who understand you, understand what matters to you, and you understand what matters to them ultimately, right? If you are getting investment, it's, it's such a good point. Absolutely. And look, you know, if you're in a high growth business, I know that you're probably, I, I'm guessing here, Amrit, but you're you're probably at a point where profit is actually a bit of a dirty word because profit is an indicator that you're not capturing market share. <laughs> Whereas for the average self-employed, um, profit is absolutely not a dirty word because it's what puts food on their table. And understanding that difference I think is the kind of education that the next generation need so that they're not swayed by the media reports about certain businesses and actually can make an informed decision about A, whether they go into business and then B, what kind of business is comfortable for them. Yeah, you know, I, I'm 37, so my motivations putting food on the table, and I'm a startup dad, so putting food on the table is very important. Oh, yes. So, but uh, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Kyle. I think, you know, for most startups, you know, the focus on growth over profit is a really interesting one. And again, something people thinking about setting up a business, you know, the, the implications of not being profitable uh, and the dependence that you will have uh, on your investors if you go down that route. Again, as you say, having that education going into it, thinking deeply about what that will mean for you, you know, mm. when the money, if the money runs out or when the money runs out, it, it, it's so important. It's, it yeah, really is. Really and hey, it, it's a learning game. So, um, you know, I've always been a small business person. Uh, deep down, I'm a small business person, unit level economics, make it work unit by unit, product by product, shop by shop, whatever it is, make make it work at the um, at the grassroots and then it will filter up. However, I remember one of my friends, probably 15 years ago, he was venture backed, I wasn't. And we were talking about his need for funding. And I said, I said to him, why aren't you, why aren't you putting your money in? 
And his view as a venture-backed startup founder was, why on earth would I put my money in? <laughs> yeah, that's an alien concept to him. Why would he, why would he risk his own money? Because he's got this other money. Yeah. Whereas for me, as a non-equity-backed business, it, putting my own money, that reduces debt. You know, that makes mm. us, that shores up our balance sheet. It puts the right message out to our lenders and so on. So it's, um, it, it's a staggering um, difference in approach. But I, I really do feel that this is, um, this is something that's missed. I've tried to cover within the book is that very basic business education that most of us didn't receive at school. No, you're absolutely right. So I suppose, you know, one of the things that you've said before and you've talked about more broadly is that, you know, part of the the job of creators, entrepreneurs, is to make the path easier for the next generation. I suppose one thing I'm really interested in is, you know, as you've had kids, has that influenced your approach to the way you work, what you, you know, what you do, how you work with other people? When when any of us become a parent and, you know, I've actually got five kids. So I've got from um, my eldest, who I had at a very young age, through to Junior, who's just turned four. So I've got a massive spectrum, you know, as be- becoming a dad at 17 and becoming a dad at um, a few years ago. Not, not wanting to mention my age, but anyone <laughs> anyone who knows maths will be able to work it out. Um, <laughs> I think that you, you realise very quickly as a dad that you've got eyes on you, even if they're not necessarily old enough to understand. They see how you act. They see how you conduct yourself. They see how you enter into relationships. They see how you manage money. They see how you manage your own stress levels and so on. So I think that being a dad really helps focus you on what's important. Um, Yeah, you've got eyes on you and your kids are a real reflection of you. And I think that really applies at work as well, actually. Um, One of the things, you know, I was listening to a podcast yesterday talking about business and they said, no one works harder than the boss. Right? And I'm not sure whether that's absolutely true at all, actually. But I think the kind of the, the theme being that you set the tone in how you act and how you behave, you know, in the way you work when you work in a small team or, or a large team, actually, is very, that it, it's got a real parallels with actually having kids. And I don't know whether, I don't know, again, you being an entrepreneur early in your life, I don't know whether you found there was carryover between the parenting and the kind of running a business and motivating people, you know, whether it's your clients or people in your team. I, I think so. I think that's a very accurate analogy, actually. I think that when we look at where we are as parents, what we try to do, ultimately in a family, if we were to use business terminology, we try and set a culture, we try and set a vision of what we want to achieve as a family, we try and set our values of what's acceptable, what's not. And it's exact. It's exactly what we do in our businesses, isn't it? The culture comes from the top and that applies whether it's family or business. You're absolutely right. Although uh, I can definitely tell you that my wife is utterly fed up with me using business words uh, uh, <laughs> at home. So I should be very careful about saying the culture comes from the top because she would be very sure to let me know who's the CEO. Oh, uh, yes. As soon as I say that. You you and me both. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a really good analogy, though. Uh, I like that a lot. It's been a real eye opener for me, actually. You know, my first child, she's 14 months soon. And as you say, you know, just how observant they are. You're always on duty, right? And I think the same thing absolutely applies uh, uh, in the workplace as well. Definitely, definitely. So I suppose, you know, again, I'm coming back to to your book. I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that in a little while. But going into the kind of timing, timing of becoming an entrepreneur. So I know we talked about taking the leap uh, being a hard part. But, you know, do you have any thoughts on 
the timing of when someone could and should start start a business, uh, you know, because I think, again, there's analogies with parenting there about, you know, people nowadays apply much more science than is possibly needed or, or necessary to, to timing having kids. But do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. So I, I use the analogy of parenthood um, all of the time, actually, that there's often we say there's no right time to be a parent. And then you look back and think, actually, you should have had another kid or or <laughs> whatever the um, or whatever situation is, or ho- hopefully not look back and say you should have had one less. Uh, but there's yeah. never the right time, you know, in the um, you know, the early days of potential parenthood, you've got the financial pressures, you've got the risks of new relationships and so on. In the later days, you've got the concerns about the impact on your life and um, whether you can flex your career around. So there's always um, there's always a challenge that comes up. And it's the same with um, deciding to become an entrepreneur, whether it's financial, whether it's skills-based, whether it's contacts, uh, whether it's education, there's always something stopping you from doing it or there's there's always something that could be found to stop you to do it. I believe that COVID will change that, hopefully. And my thinking behind that is that we've been through such a dramatic, um, not just a economic crisis, but a public health crisis as well. I think that many of us have had a realisation that we have only got one life. And if there's something we want to do and it's burning inside of us, actually, do you know what? We better get on with it before the next pandemic. So I'm hoping that will act as a motivator. But there unfortunately never is a right time. Um, what I would say, though, because that's very motivational and fluffy, I think I do need to say some practicalities as well. <laughs> there is certainly some wrong times. You know, whilst there might never be a right time, there are certainly some wrong times. And the wrong times, as a dad, and hopefully it's dads listening to this, if you've got a family dependent on you and you're redlining on your credit cards already and you've got no savings, yeah, you've got to be sensible and you've got to be a dad. Now, that's not very get-rich-quick. It's not very motivational. It's not very fluffy. But you need to ensure that you can provide for your family. You need to ensure that the business will be a success, but also, and most importantly, to protect your personal relationships and your sanity, you need to make sure that you've got a little bit of runway, not too much runway so that you just sit back and don't start the business, but you've got a little bit of runway so that if your projections aren't as good as you initially plan, you've still got that level of comfort at home. And that's the, I I guess, the fear that I have about any new business is that I've never seen a business meet its projections because to get every single number correct in a cash flow projection, you've got more chance of winning the lottery. But then when we we dice that down a little bit further, the reality is that those starting their own business tend to be optimistic with their projections. Why are they optimistic? Because if they were pessimistic, they wouldn't make the jump. So I I think it's really important that whilst there's no right time, there is a wrong time and you shield yourself against that wrong time by making sure that you've got a little bit of cash reserves so that actually it doesn't hurt too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic piece of advice, actually. I think one of the things that most entrepreneurs learn when they go it alone is you need much less than you think you do, but you need a baseline. Definitely. <laughs> that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you need zero. If money is a problem or a distraction, you can't do your best work as an entrepreneur. That's spot on. If we just think about how we make decisions when we're under stress, if we've got a high level of stress, every decision will be based on that stress. So. Will you recruit staff if you're skint personally? No, you won't. Will you do marketing if you're skint personally? No, you won't, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because you'll be thinking about pounds in your own pocket rather than the business as a separate entity. On the flip side, 
there is advice that you should have a year's worth of savings put aside of what you normally earn. I think that's nonsense myself. I think that's too much because there are mm. some people, not everybody, but there are some people who'd use that as an excuse to sit back for 11 months. Yeah. So I think there's a happy medium between the two. For me, it's between three and six months of your living costs, not your income. So what is the bare bones that you can survive mm. on? And that's yeah. sufficient for you to make informed decisions rather than panicking about where your next dinner comes from. Um, but also holding your feet to the fire slightly, but you actually want to earn some money out of it. Yeah. If you're in that position, you know you'll be making decisions. You're like, you will really question why you're doing this and then you'll know you're doing it for the right reasons. Mm. So time for the big question that I like to ask every guest. Um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you'd love to pass on to your kids? Wow. So um, this is probably a very generic answer. So I want to add flavor to it for you, Amir. I'm going to give you the answer, but then I'm going to give a practical example of it as well. Very simply, it's that when you've got that burn and the desire to do it, go ahead and do it. Um, and I'm sure you've had people give different variations of it, you know, push harder, start earlier, you can do it, blah, blah, blah. Everybody gives that answer. But the reality is that I had a limiting factor early on in my life. I could see that I wanted to run a business. I didn't believe that business was cut out for people like me. You know, I grew up on a council estate. I didn't have... Um, didn't have savings, didn't have um, the opportunities that some people have. So it felt like business was for other people and I'd allowed society to condition me. So the lesson that I would want my kids to have is framed around the fact that they should do it earlier, but they need to identify what is it, what what is the problem that's holding them back and look to eliminate that limiting factor. And, you know, again, showing that, I guess, the hybrid between parenting and business, um, we look at business, ultimately, the way that you get to where you want to get to from where you are is you find your limiting factor, remove it, find the next limiting factor, remove it. Often we don't do that personally. And the limiting factor can be as simple as our parents saying things like get a safe nine to five job or get a career for life or uh, money doesn't grow on trees. And, you know, all of these quotes that are well intended, but actually act against us. I wish that at an earlier age, I would have eliminated those limiting beliefs, those limiting factors. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those amazing things, isn't it? That it ties into that point that you said earlier. There's never a good time to do this, right? The best time, there's a proverb, isn't it? Best time was 10,000 years ago. The second best time is today. Absolutely. Um, it's a fantastic message. And I think, like you say, I, I, it's a really good point, Carl, about the, the messaging for entrepreneurship to children at schools as a viable career path. And I think it's an opportunity for all of us in the message that we pass on to our children that it's a valid path. And it may not be the path for them. They may want a corporate job, but it doesn't mean that there's, it's not the path for them. That, as you said, that it, it's not by default the wrong path. Absolutely right. And I think after COVID, I, I don't want to hark on about COVID too much, but I think that we're going to see a change in the way that people work. Um, and it might not necessarily impact high the high growth business environment, but certainly the self-employment environment. Paradoxically, in COVID, in a situation that's a worldwide pandemic and out of our control, we've got individuals who've had more control over their work environment and their work times and, you know, whether they work on the in the kitchen or the spare bedroom, whether yeah. they start at 9am or if they're juggling homeschooling and they work hour on hour off or whatever, whatever arrangements they've come to personally at home, they've had more control over their working life than they probably have done in their corporate life. And 
I see coming out of COVID, but we're going to we're going to see a generation of people. And that's not a new generation. That's the workforce at the moment wanting more control and possibly embracing that portfolio career style approach. Um, So things will change, but we need we need a society to make sure that that changes for the good for the next generation. Well, that's a wonderful way to wrap up the regular section uh, of Startup Dads. Carl, thank you so much for that. Um, From there, we'd like to close up with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light on some organizations that we admire in the startup space. Startup Shoutouts. So, Carl, this is a point we'd love to give you your chance to do your own startup shoutout. Who's yours this week? Sure. So mine is Young Enterprise. And I think it ties in very nicely with what we were talking about. Young Enterprise is a um, was, is part of JA Global, an international charity. Uh, Young Enterprise is a national charity, but with arms in other nations as well. And it looks to encourage both financial education, but also the development of an enterprising mindset within the next generation, whether they use that for entrepreneurship or just to support them in a changing workplace. So that that's my shout out, Emmett. Brilliant stuff. So mine this week is a company called Progression App. So HX, the company I work at, is uh, growing quite rapidly. And one of the things that we care a lot about is the team's development and progression. And actually, this is a hard thing to manage as a team grows. And we found this uh, software called Progression App, which is software that helps people design and build career progression pathways and then track them and monitor them to enable individual and company success. So it's a small business, but building some really valuable, useful software for businesses and teams alike. So good luck to you, Progression App. Carl, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was a fantastic whirlwind tour through lots of subjects, but with some real great takeaways. So thank you again. Excellent, Amit. Thank you so much for having me. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. To join our community of parent founders, head over to the Startup Dance Facebook group. 